0: Our Bible reading today is 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. In verse 18 it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And in chapter 2 it says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began none of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory however as it is written what no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the thing god has prepared for those who love him these are the things god has revealed to us by his spirit good morning everyone how
1: you're doing do you want a few seconds to think about it? or you have... oh, You're OK. You're OK. All right. Well, I'm OK as well, so we'll have an OK day together. Come on, we've got to believe more than that, surely. Thank you, Nicole and Ben, for leading us in worship and air. Even Steve just 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 setting us up, going, yeah, it's something so important about gathering together and having these rhythms in our lives, but then not having those things be routine or where we go on autopilot, but actually to step in and engage with them in a significant way. And, and that's where we are in our series at the moment. So we have just started a series last week on, on beyond routine. What does it mean to go beyond those places of almost over-familiarity and disengagement where we go on autopilot, but we deliberately step into the fullness of what God would have for us. And so last week we kicked off with what does it mean to reclaim this in regards to our worship, to understand that we can encounter the living God, that we can lift His uh, name up. And if you were here, hopefully that was a real encouragement and and a call almost back to some some things of first importance. And I shared that kind of sense that I I believe that God is calling us as a church family deeper into a, a culture of worship. Uh, And it was super exciting for me to see about 50 people gathered together on Wednesday night to immediately put that into practice, where we just spent uh, an extended period of time just worshipping God. It was the reason that we came together, and uh, I think it was a really significant time. For me, I was certainly blessed. If you were there, hopefully you were were blessed as well. I'm seeing some nodding of heads, which is really great. So I have this sense coming to this message today of just... Like I'm a glass half empty kind of guy, right? So, so I'm like glass half full guy today, right? There's significant things that God is doing in the life of our church, bringing about genuine shifts that take us beyond routine into the fullness of what he is doing in the life of our church. So would you agree with me that God is doing a good thing in the work of Parramatta Baptist Church at the moment? Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm so excited to continue our series today by looking at that strange word that's uh, number two uh, in the box there. Maybe that uh, piqued your curiosity or your interest last week. Uh, We want to look at something that was really central to the life of the early church, something that we continue to uphold, is really important in the life of our church, and I'll put to you in the life of every individual believer, something that we dedicate a whole bunch of our service to as well, and that is this idea of kerygma. Now, that's a Greek New Testament word. Uh, and it's related to another Greek word called keruso, which literally means to cry or to proclaim as a herald. So back in the day, if you were a king and you had a proclamation that you wanted your subjects throughout the kingdom to know and to live in light of, you would send a herald. You would send someone to proclaim that message throughout the kingdom. So th- that's that kind of little word background to what we see in the New Testament, this word kerygma, which is used about the New Testament Preaching, particularly the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. In fact, the good news of Jesus is so central to this proclamation, you can use the word kerygma to talk about the message itself, not the act of giving the message, but the actual message itself. So when you say the kerygma, what it's talking about is that beautiful, beautiful theology we have of the good news of Jesus Christ in the fullness of what that means for you and I. And as I read the New Testament, and maybe as you read the New Testament... It's hard to miss that for the early church and the apostles, there was just this power to their proclamation. Is that fair? Did you read it the same way as me? It's like they were so convinced of the power of the good news of Jesus that they proclaimed it in this way. Like You have to use the word power. It was powerful and it was transformative. And it makes sense. These are the people that had just seen Jesus being risen from the dead. And this gospel message had already turned their own personal lives upside down in magnificent ways. And they'd seen the ways that that had outplayed in the lives of others as well. And so it's very easy for them to have this very real and powerful conviction that the gospel message needed to be proclaimed throughout their empire and their kingdom. Now these are Jewish people so they've got the advantage of having the whole back catalogue of the Old Testament ringing in their ears. These great stories that testify to the power of God's word being spoken throughout the Old Testament. So they would have grown up knowing the stories of God speaking, proclaiming, declaring and all of creation coming into being. That have heard the stories of messages coming from God, words coming from God through agencies to individuals, whether that was through a burning bush, through an angel, through a stranger, mysterious person, through a prophet, through a priest, even a donkey at times. And these messages would, would set the individual on a completely different course for their lives, like the prophet Ezekiel would be an example of that. They also know the great stories where the word of God would come and it was like, well, that is, is certain and that's going to happen. So, so the word of God comes to Moses to speak over the people and to speak to Pharaoh that God has heard their cries and he's going to bring them out of captivity to this mountain where they can worship him. And Pharaoh, the most powerful and influential figure in the ancient Near East at the time, with literally centuries of experience, not him personally, but you know, Egypt, centuries of experience of subjecting the people of God to slavery. Even that, he's unable to stop or impede or or undermine God's word coming into being. You're You know some of these stories, right? God's word is powerful, and when it comes, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the prophet Jonah. Think about the word, the message that God places on Jonah to speak into the lives of those in Nineveh. And I don't know if you ever have to give talks publicly or, or think through things like this. But if you've ever read his sermon or proclamation to the people of Nineveh, you, you sit there and go, mate, you must have put about zero time and zero effort into that proclamation, right? It is the least heartfelt call to repentance I think I've ever heard. And yet, you know what happens, right? Here is this prophet, reluctant, almost not caring. Well, here's the word, I have to give it to you. And the whole city uh, repents. Why? Because the power is not in the messenger, even in the delivery of the message. The power was in the very words that came from God. And as soon as they were released onto the world, people couldn't help but respond. And so there is this beautiful verse God gives to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah fifty five eleven. Hopefully you know it. And God says, This is, so it is with my word as it goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose of for which I sent. And so we find ourselves in the pages of the New Testament and this first appearance of these words, kerygma. Now we understand that the people have this as their background, they have this as their understanding of the power of the Word of God. They've you know, just seen the Logos, the Word of God, Jesus incarnate in the flesh, seen Him resurrected, and they are now filled with the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, Romans informs us. And so there's nothing routine whatsoever about their proclamation of good news. And we see the impact of it. The impact in their lives and in the lives of those they speak into. Now I can at times have a little bit of rose-coloured glasses when it comes to looking at the early church. So I don't want to over-romanticise what was happening at the time. So, so let's be real a bit for a second. There were people who rejected their message every single time they gave a public pronouncement in every single city. There were those who persecuted them specifically because of what they proclaimed, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the grave. There were those who mocked them and belittled them, looked down on them for what they proclaimed, those who had you know, much more high, lofty, intellectual thinking, the, the Greek philosophers of the time. There were false teachers that would creep into the church and people would flock to them because they would tell them what they wanted to hear. In fact, the context for our Bible reading today is of a church that's having all these disputes and all these conflicts over personal preferences. Well, We like the way this person does it. Well, we prefer the way that person does it. And the acts that Luke records is very honest in also recording an occasion where somebody proclaimed, we might say, a little bit too long and somebody fell asleep fell out of a window and passed away. Now, as I said earlier, some people maintain that it was the fall that killed him. Others are like, when you fall asleep in messages. <laughs> Let those with ears to hear, hear. Uh, anyways, um, but all that said... You look at the life of the early church and you look at the public proclamation and the interpersonal person-to-person proclamation that goes on and it's like they proclaim fully believing that what they are proclaiming is of God, that it's from God, that it's about God, that God is in their midst working in them and in the hearers as they share it with them. And so today I just simply want to ask us, well, what about us? In 2019 in Australia, what about us? Do we share this same conviction, this same passion, this same belief that the gospel is powerful and mighty and effective, that it changes and it shapes every part of our lives and it is good news, genuinely good news to all those that we share it with? Do we have their same conviction and do we experience the same power of the gospel message? You see, I think if we're not careful, we can end up sort of reducing the gospel message a bit. Reduce it to a set of propositional statements that we kind of poke at and prod at and discuss at an intellectual-only level. If we're not careful, we can dismiss the gospel message as, "Mm, well, it's not something that they need. Or mistake it for being just one of many other ideologies and worldviews in the world. But the gospel is powerful and effective. It's mighty to save. It is true. It is of God. And it's about his son, Jesus. And to that end, I think we actually need to reclaim part of what it means to be a church that proclaims the gospel. And we need to reconnect with particularly its power, I think. Its power for us and its power as we proclaim it. Now, I think Christians, or maybe I'm speaking for myself here, can be a little bit of a funny lot at times. We can have this very strange mix of belief and unbelief, sitting right uh, alongside each other, expressing itself, even in the same context in our lives. Uh, so I remember the first time I was invited to just preach a straight-up gospel message to, to a group of people I didn't actually know. And I said, yes, because I believed in the power of the gospel, I believe that Jesus was mighty and effective to save, that God was redeeming, he was rescuing people, he was calling people home because of what Jesus had done on the cross and through his resurrection. And so I remember preaching this and preparing it and doing all that kind of stuff. As it got close, I was like, oh, they're like, you should, do the, you should do like a gospel appeal at the end, actually invite people forward for first-time commitments. And I backed away from this and like, oh, I'll preach the gospel bit and maybe someone, someone from your church can do the, yeah, the call for first-time commitments or something like that. And so I got there and I got up and I preached the gospel as, as um, truthfully as, as I could, fully believing in the gospel, and yet I sat down and someone got up and did the appeal. And I was genuinely shocked when people actually went forward. Belief and unbelief, sitting alongside one another. Does that, does that ring true? You're all looking at me like, you, unbeliever. <laughs> Come on, right? You, you understand? Oh, okay. there it is. Pray for me. I haven't been following Jesus as long as many of you. But yeah, there is this sense for us where, where belief and unbelief can sit alongside each other. I remember another occasion where I was listening to somebody else preach the gospel and I was like, this is a, a rambling, uh, lengthy message with lots of anecdotes. I'm not entirely sure what the point is. And he got to the end and did this great appeal. And to my great amazement, hordes of young people went, through, went forward to give their life to God. And you're kind of looking around, being like, God, did I miss what you were doing in the room? Like, is, there is that sense where I think for us, it's, it's, it's 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 easy to not believe genuinely in the power of the gospel and what God is at work doing in the room or in the conversation. We know the difference between going through the motions on routine, on autopilot, and genuinely engaging with something that connects us with the true power of that action, with the true power of God. Does that make sense? So just take prayer, for instance. Hopefully you've had a chance to pray for somebody, not if this is true. Good. Maybe you know what it is to pray for someone in that moment, and words come forth. You, just, you pray something that makes sense. You pray something that you think you should be praying, but you, know, you do that almost unthinkingly, on routine, on autopilot, and you're like, that was a good prayer, and I believe God can hear it but you felt absence of power. Has anyone ever done that? Yeah. Now, have you ever had the chance to pray for someone where you haven't gone on autopilot and you haven't done something out of routine, but you've waited on the Spirit, it feels like you're participating with what the Spirit wants to pray, you're praying, believing that a God is present to heal or whatever it is that you're praying for, and you pray that and you have this beautiful sense of the very power and presence of God. Please tell me you've experienced that. Because my hope for you, right... And if you haven't experienced it, please let us pray for you at the end of the service and we'll make you pray for us as well because it goes both ways. There's something incredibly wonderful when we actually recognize and we engage with the God of whatever it is that we're doing. The God that we're worshiping in song instead of just singing songs. The God that we're praying to and with instead of just saying words in the form of a prayer the God of the gospel who is present, to save and to heal rather than just reciting something that we know to be true because we grew up being taught it. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth who are having these squabbles over who they liked better. And he writes reminding them, saying, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. All right, it's not the cleverest thing. It's not the most popular thing in society. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And so he goes on in chapter 2, And so when I came to you, I didn't try to come with my cleverness or my eloquence or my human wisdom. Instead, what I resolved was to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. He is the power. He is the one who the message is about. He is really the kerygma. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There was a power to their proclamation of the good news, because they understood who it was about, what the power was, and didn't get sidetracked by cleverness. Does this make sense? You see, the gospel is powerful, and it brings transformation to every area of our lives, And I think when we understand that, when we receive that, when we sit under it, we just see the gospel in such a more true light, one that lends power to it as we proclaim it. And so I just want to remind you, just to stop and remind you this morning that the good news message of Jesus is that everyone and anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can be welcomed home by a loving Heavenly Father, can have their sins forgiven that hope and restoration and redemption are theirs in Christ Jesus. doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much shame or guilt you carry over past actions or inactions. doesn't matter if you've got your life together or not together at all. doesn't matter what other people say about you or what you believe about yourself. The good news message of Jesus is that God loves you. And he has pursued you with a relentless passion to welcome you home, to fill you with his spirit, and to lead you into the fullness of life that is his desire and his plan and his purpose for you. This is the good news message of Jesus. And so for those of us who have been following him, maybe following him for a long time, we also need to know that the power of the gospel is not just that one-time where we placed our faith and trust in him for the first time. But actually, the gospel is good news to us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in today. Because Jesus is risen, and he's alive, and he's present, and he longs to keep working in us to bring us ever increasingly into the fullness of the life that he has won for us. And so in our struggling relationships, the gospel is good news in our attitudes or our behaviours that even we don't like, the gospel is good news. and the decision we need to make, the gospel is good news. Does it make sense? I really hope it makes sense. To reclaim the gospel as powerful and effective, that we then need to be really clear in the way that we proclaim it and the way that we speak it out. And before you think, well, maybe this is a preacher preaching on preaching. No, you're incorrect. All of us who have received and experienced the power of the good news message about Jesus, I think are called to steward that. And I think we have a responsibility. And I think one of the outworkings that should show up in our lives is the way that we relentlessly proclaim that, partly over ourselves, also to one another, and the way that we offer it out as life to the world around us. So in two, two specific uh, contexts, the first is in community. Since the word kerygma is used to describe this gospel proclamation about the good news of Jesus, I think the question is not so much when is it or isn't it appropriate to share this. The question burning in our hearts should be, how can I proclaim this in the most effective way for as many poss- people as possible to hear, receive and respond to this gospel truth? Does that make sense? Hopefully that's a good reframing. Instead of being like, is this, is this not a appropriate to share? The heart's desire should be looking for ways that we can testify to the goodness and greatness of our God expressed in his loving kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so I think we have a mutual responsibility and a mutual ministry to one another to be speaking gospel truths over each other and into each other's lives. So I have some friends who do this really well. Two of them I'll give you an example of. Uh, so, one does this very proactively. So, whenever I um, catch up with this guy or wherever he sends me a text or if we're ever emailing or, or on the phone, he will make sure to proactively declare something that is gospelly true over me and into my life. At times, it can be a bit intense and you're like, whoa, I just wanted to know what time lunch was, but it's cool. Um, but but he'll do this, you know, and it'll be, you are a mighty man of God and the kingdom, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? It's, but it's great kind of faith building reminder of like yes I am Uh, because of Jesus uh, I am and he always reframes and resets my vision in light of kingdom truth and gospel truth as he will take this opportunity very proactively to, to speak and declare truth over me and he's a friend so he's obviously invited into that space it's not it's not unwelcome The second person that springs to mind is is a friend of mine who does this very reactively. So whenever we're having a conversation or we're hanging out together or we're in groups of people, uh, if something that is said that sets itself up against the good news message of Jesus, she'll be really quick uh, to jump in on that. Not in a condemnation way, but to to affirm and reaffirm what is actually true uh, over that person. So examples would be where you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I'm really this morning, I mightn't see her this week, but you know, or I'm like, oh, I'm really sick, uh, preaching this Sunday, I'm just going to have to, I guess I'll just have to struggle through, and it's like, whoa, hang on a minute, uh, let's, let's invite God into this space, you know, one of those kind of people, or, or you're sharing, you say something that, that doesn't quite ring true gospelly. it's like, oh, oh, who am I to, whatever, and it's like, whoa, 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 you're a child of the King and declaring gospel truth over you. Have you ever met those people? Aren't they a blessing in your life? Because at every point in the midst of every day, they're just bringing gospel-centered truths back into your face to be like, oh, okay, this is the way I'm supposed to be living. Are you one of these people to others? I guess is what I'm saying. Actually, part of reclaiming the proclamation of the gospel, in my mind, is not just this, some person up the front giving a very lengthy instruction. The New Testament actually has other words for that. It, I think it's actually about speaking out gospel truth person to person as we go along the way. And so I think it must find expression in community. Please look for opportunities in each other's lives, in conversation, when you can, where you can be declaring what is gospelly true over each other. And I think once you open your ears and you open your eyes to those opportunities, you will be inundated with door after door being open for you to speak something that is gospelly true into the life of somebody else. And it will be a blessing to them as they receive that as well. And the other context I think is in our own everyday lives. You see, if we actually believe that the gospel message is powerful and it's effective, it's mighty to transform and save and change us, the question becomes: how do I put myself under that proclamation? How do I position my heart to hear that, to believe that, to receive it, to respond to it, to be shaped by it, to be allowed to actually read me and my motives, uh, allow myself to be equipped by it, to be directed by it, to be inspired buy it afresh. I think we're really quick to forget and often the person that needs to hear the gospel message most is often ourselves. Is is that true? As we battle with some of those false thinking or that that old self stuff or or insecurities or that thing that happened this week that we just can't shake whatever it is. that Often we actually need to proclaim gospel truth over um, ourselves and I think this one is is really important. I think this shows up in often the most nitty-gritty stuff of everyday life. Because when we believe that the gospel is good news, we believe Jesus is good news in every moment of, of every day into every situation. And so, so I have these encounters with gospel truth while I'm often washing up the dishes at, at home. Uh, it's, I, it's a moment of profound sanctification uh, in my heart and in my life because some days... I don't know why my illustrations always turn into a confessional, but anyway. So, yeah, some days it's the end of a long day, it, everything's hard, and you get to the end, you're like, I just want to sit on the couch and vegetate. And um, you know, Kay's up there, you're putting Emily to sleep or something. And you, you got how do we create this much washing? It's like two point two five people. It's like it's ridiculous. And so you're sitting there and you're washing, and you and you feel that frustration, that anger, and it's like this is such a Ah, this is not how I want to spend my life. This is not who I want to be. Maybe you guys really enjoy washing up dishes. Bless you if that's you. Not everything fits in the dishwasher. And anyways, um, <laughs> but, but you're, you're feeling this, and you're just like, well, yeah, I've got the choice. I've got the choice to either continue in this and continue to wallow in my self-pity and woe is me and allow that kind of anger and frustration to bubble up. You're like, I don't even know where that anger came from, but you know, there it is. Um, or to actually invite gospel truth um, into that and actually believe, I know it sounds weird, but that Jesus is good news, even in the midst of me sitting there feeling angry at the washing up. And what I've experienced many times this year, apparently this is where God is working on my heart at the moment, is that when I open myself up to believe that Jesus is good news, isn't in those moments, that I am reminded of some of the truths of scripture and feel the Holy Spirit come alongside to say, actually, I'm calling you into a pattern of of servanthood, where, where loving patience and kindness is your default way of being. It's part of the fruit that I'm bearing um, in your life. And actually, you having to do something like this every day reminds you of how incapable you are. You can't keep your kitchen under control. You certainly can't keep the world under control, nor can you control what is happening in the life of the church. You actually need to trust me in these moments, and it reminds you of, of my greatness uh, and, and that I'm worthy of worship. It might be a really dumb illustration and an example, but I think it's even in that kind of nitty-gritty, practical, everyday stuff that we need to take hold of the great truths of Scripture. And for us, most of it, that'll turn up in different ways. It'll be the conflict that we're having with our work colleague. We're like, well, I need to... He's got to pay for this. it has got to be justice. When you invite the gospel truths in, So in Christ have I been richly forgiven, so must I now extend love, mercy, and grace, even an orientation towards blessing those who persecute me.